Welcome to Dan Malloy's Personal Power Podcast. Get ready to up your communication and commitment game. Hear from those who have succeeded using Dan's program. And now, here's Dan Malloy. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm thrilled to be back here with you, another podcast. We're having fun. I'm getting great feedback from, from clients and people that are listening to them. So it's uh, And I'm having a good time uh, interviewing um, really you know, the best, most interesting people that I can find. And uh, today is no exception. We have with us a, a remarkable woman who's... Um, and it's very, my first question, I think, for Mary Delavalle. Did I pronounce that correct, Mary? Perfect. Sounds perfect. <laughs> it just kind of rolls right off your tongue. Delavalle. <laughs> How did you wind up in, a, in an industry that's so male-dominant? That's my question. Well, it started with uh, my major. I, I majored at the University of Akron in mass media, so I either wanted to go into radio, TV, announcing, or production, or newspaper journalism. And I landed my first job in publishing, and I loved it, and I never looked back. And it, really? it just happened to be that I'm in the B2B business and, you know, in the automotive sector. And so, you know, it is it is dominated by by male, the male, industry, you know, males, but... Um, it's, but that's it's, why you have all so of us wrapped around your little finger. I could tell. I'm serious. That's <laughs> that's what it is, right? Well, you're, in, you. you're you're in, you're in charge. Know. Let me share with the readers that Mary is the uh, editor of Tire Review Magazine, and that's how I came to know her and work with her. Um, uh, I'm a contributor contributing writer for the publication yeah. for like five years now, and I have I yeah. really really have fun doing it. You know, but tell me, tell me more about, you know, it's like your, your, your background and where you grew up and what, what led you to getting involved in, in, in writing and publishing and all that. What was the draw there for you? Well, you know, I grew up in the Cleveland, Ohio area and through high school, I always loved to write. So I thought that's what I'd like to like to do for my career. And I pretty much set my mind on that and focused on that and went to college. Like I said, I got a Bachelor of Arts in Mass Media from the University of Akron. And then I just started job searching. And I, I actually, um, like I said, originally, I wanted to go into TV, broadcast journalism and announcing or production. And it just so turned out as I was looking for jobs, the first job I landed was in publishing at a publishing company uh, not too far from my house. And it was uh, tied in with a book publisher. So they had a book publishing division and a magazine division. And I worked there for just under two years. And then an opportunity came up at Babcock's Media. And I've been there for 32 years. And I never looked back. Yeah, and I just, I never, I never went in. I never wanted to change my mind and go into TV or production or announcing. I just stuck with, the uh, B2B publishing and I loved it. And, you know, now with the expanding nature of the media business, I'm involved in several aspects of multimedia. Now, when I first started at Babcock's, we were, you know, predominantly print Yes. and we had websites, but now, now we're kind of doing it every all. We're, we have a whole multimedia portfolio where we have, 
you know, webinars and websites and, and uh, advanced digital targeting and podcasts and video and e-newsletters. So uh, the beauty of my job is that I'm able to get involved in all those other aspects. So my wish kind of came true that I, I actually am in the production business and mass media like I intended to on the front end, even though I landed a job in print at first, it has sort of come full circle and, I, and I'm just thrilled with what I do and the career that the career path that has unfolded for me. How did you, it's interesting to me that you, at what age did you determine that you really loved to write? How did you discover that? Goodness. I think it was probably in <laughs> high school when we had to write papers and do research papers. And I just, I just love delving into that, doing research and, you know, writing like a, a catchy intro to pull the reader in and then developing a thought process to, you know, to fill out a story. And I just, it just became my passion. I felt that it was something that I really liked to do and I thought I was pretty good at it. So I thought, you know what, this may be the ideal career path for me because, you know, Dan, you, I'm sure you can attest to this. You have to love what you do. And if you don't love what you do, it's just a job. It's not a it's not a career. It's not your passion. If you don't have a passion for what you're doing, then you're not doing the right thing. Well, that's I'm why sure I was asking you about how old you were, because I think it's a real blessing for you, you know, that you found out at a very young age what you were, right. what your passion was. You know, so I feel bad. Um, it, it took me a little longer, but you know, I figured it out. I figured out that it was all about for me about communication. You know, and uh, right. And te right. teaching people about that and delving into it and really trying to understand it, you know, um, at that level. But it's a real blessing to un to have that passion at such a young age, you know. Um, and I'm glad I didn't deviate. I stuck with it because then I didn't waste any time when I was in college. I actually, I actually graduated in three and a half years. I really loaded up my schedule. And I actually did an internship at one of the big TV stations in downtown Cleveland. So I was able to spend a whole semester doing an internship and really learned some valuable production and writing and editing skills there. So I, like I stuck with it and I didn't waste any time. Cause you hear these stories of, you know, students who don't know what they want to do and they end up, you know, making an eight year school career out of a four year degree, you know? Yes. Yes. And, and so many, I think today come out without any practical skills Right. You know, they go to school and, and, and I, th I'm, I'm, I mean, I think in, if you're going to school in business and you're going into, you know, accounting or you're going into law or you're going into something to do with, you know, with engineering or science or something like that, then you know what you're going to do when you get out. But a lot of the liberal, real liberal educations today, what do they prepare you for? You know, it's a, I think it's a problem. Right. So I, I think they are emphasizing the need to do internships and get some practical experience because you're right. A lot of times that can turn into a job. We've had that happen at Babcock's Media. We, we're very big on having interns in our company and we really show them the ropes. And there have been times when there have been openings and they were at the right place at the right time. So I yes. think that's really a beneficial thing to do as a student is to get your feet wet, get into as many companies as you can, do at least two or three internships if the time allows and get some real practical experience. So That's great. Great idea. Great feedback for people. When's your book coming out? 
the latest, my, my book. Oh, I'm not going to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> You're not. Come on. I'm expecting you. you really? You must have, could, you must, you, yeah. you, you must, you must have inside of you some desire to write a book at, at this point. Well, you know, you would think that, but my job entails working with the written words so much that I feel like, you know, in fact, when I come home, I don't even want to read a book or, you know, <laughs> anything that's too lengthy. I, I like to flip through magazines oh, because so. all day I'm focused on so much on writing and editing and interviewing and, you know, all these other multimedia things that when I come home, I just like to breathe through things. So that's because funny. I'm so intense and focused. That's funny. Now you've turned your you've turned your passion into a job. <laughs> oh no! Now what? Now what? That's funny. Now you're in. But the, I love it. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I've been at Babcock 32 years, like I said, and I've worked on our all of our all of our titles are in the uh, automotive realm, uh, mostly in the aftermarket. We do have one dealer magazine. Uh, but I've worked on our service publications all 32 years. I started out on break and front end. So it was our magazine that dealt with, you know, undercar repairs, chassis brakes, that sort of thing. Then I moved over to import car, which was my longest stint. I was on that magazine for 29 years, wow. I think. Wow. Wow. And then I moved over to Tire Review just about a year and a half ago. So all still in the service realm, just different niches within the marketplace. And so what is I your really what is it. your job as editor of Tire Review, which I know is is a really 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 well liked and uh, it's an industry bible, if you will, for many people. Thank you. you know, yeah, it's a wonderful publication. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Thank you. Well, you know, as the editor, I'm responsible for everything that's in there cover to cover. So I work with a team. Uh, we have a couple other editors on staff and a designer. And we've got, you know, the folks who handle the circulation and the advertising and that sort of thing. But as far as the editorial product, we are in preparation of every issue uh, writing, editing, interviewing, looking for artwork, working with the designer to design the cover. Um, you know, we used to travel more. Obviously, we're not now, but we travel the shops and take pictures and interview dealers and go to tire manufacturer events where they're releasing new tire, introducing new tires and that sort of thing. But, you know, now since the pandemic, we haven't had any travel. But basically, from an editorial perspective, you're working on creating content that is desirable by your audience, you know, content that will help them do their jobs better. So our readership uh, are independent tire dealers across the country. So we're providing them with technical information to do their job better. They're doing a lot of, you know, in addition to doing tire replacements, they're doing a ton of service, yes. particularly under the car service. Mm -hmm. So we have technical articles, we have industry coverage, you know, issues, things going on in the industry, industry news, and then we also provide a lot of information about how to run your business better. And, and you know that very well because you've done an awesome job. You're a great partner of ours with providing content, you know, uh, that was applicable to their business organization, how to run their business better. So we're always on the lookout for content that we, we know what our readers want. We deliver it to them. And then, you know, in many forms. So we, we have the print publication. We have social media. We have a, a newsletter we send out. So we may take one piece of content 
and it could be a four page feature in the magazine with photos and whatnot. And then we would repurpose it for the website and maybe because right. it's in, it in, in a different angle, maybe more pictures, maybe some sidebars, things that we didn't have room for in the print. Then we're pushing it out in social media. We may do a podcast about it. We may do a webinar on it. So you have one piece of content that you could repurpose and use in a lot of different ways to reach your audience. So we try to have, you know, any, any medium that our readership wants to consume the content, we have it and we are repurposing or, you know, uh, catering to the messaging to how they want to receive it. So let me ask, let me ask so, you a question. Let's turn the topic now just for a minute to let's talk about the industry, the tire industry. You know, I've, yeah. I've, been, I've been in it since 1998 when we had that pro care operation out near you as headquarters, right. Independence, Ohio. Right. But um, I remember that. So what what are the biggest challenges do you think right now facing the average and the average? How, first of all, how many tire dealers are there in the country? Do you have a number? There on are that? About, we estimate if you if you look at the tire dealers that are deriving you know a majority of the revenue from the replacement and installation of tires, it's about thirty thousand. That would be your more of your purebred tire dealer. Now, of course, you've got general repair shops or import repair shops or, you know, break and front end type repair shops that are also replacing tires. But maybe tires is only 20% of their business. Whereas right. our audience are purebred, more of the purebred tire dealer that would, would be doing a ton of ser- uh, service and repair on tires. What do you? Th- what is their biggest challenge, do you think, given given the economy, given COVID, given... I mean, I've heard from tire manufacturers that I communicate with that they're having a hard time getting tires now because they shut down factories and everything else. We could talk about that in a minute. But what, what is the biggest challenge that you see facing the average tire dealer right now today? Well, most of them are, you know, smaller locations that are one or two location operations. And the competition is getting really stiffer. I mean, in every marketplace. So the bigger getting bigger, right? And here's an example, discount tire that is considered to be the largest independent tire and wheel retailer in the country. They're out in uh, Scottsdale, just opened five new locations at the beginning of the month. And it brings them to 1,060 stores in 36 states. Wow. So if you're a if you're a little independent guy with one or two locations and you're up against discount tire, you know, so the bigger getting bigger and our market is under the microscope from private equity firms. They're taking a closer look at the tire dealer market as a sound investment and they're actively acquiring stores. I don't know if you saw recently there are uh, one, one private equity firm called GB auto service. Yes, they're I'm one familiar. of the port- Portfolio yep. companies of Greenbrier Equity. Mm-hmm. They just acquired Tate Boys out of uh, Oklahoma. Did they really? And, wow. Yep. So these private equity companies are gobbling up the independent tire dealers. So, I mean, that is one of the big issues facing, you know, their business. If they want to remain independent, they have to up their game. Yes. Um, 100%. We know the, that. Yep. We know that for sure. For sure. 
back to this GB Auto thing, it, with this Tate Boys acquisition of seven stores, mm-hmm. brings them up to the sixth largest independent tire and automotive service company in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I so, heard, yeah, I heard about them. That, that that's a whole different conversation, you know, uh, acquisitions and uh, how do you grow a business and everything. You know, we are always talking about that. What do you see? So you think competition really is and, and being on their game, so to speak. So another challenge. They need, to, Dan, what they need to do to remain independent and strong and viable and solid in their marketplaces is they need to differentiate. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is every single day, they need to work hard, and they already are. I applaud, I applaud this nation, salute this country's dealers for everything they did to keep their businesses afloat during the pandemic. Yes. You know, they're fighters, they're innovators, they're survivals, survivors. Excuse me. They went full throttle, innovating and adapting to curb the effects of the coronavirus on their business. And all the while, they still delivered expert tire service and vehicle repairs, and kept customer service levels high. Well, I, I report, on, yes, I, I reported that to people here on the East Coast in the New York area, you know, and, and uh, sure. because I, I let so, them, I told them early on in the coronavirus thing that the uh, I had clients all over the country that were working, that were, were figuring it out, how to do it safely, how to do it, uh, how to keep their employees safe, how to keep the customers safe, and how to get the job done, and still, more importantly, how to work. And I tell you, it was interesting in the New York area. I was, when I made that statement to people, I did it on Facebook Live, no less, and I got hammered. I literally got hammered by by people Uh in the New York area because they said it wasn't the right move, you know. And now, as it turns out, you know, I think that, that it was doing what, to your point, they they were innovators, and they were tough, and they f- figured it out, and they stayed open, and they worked. And I think more people could have done that. You know, the gym owners, for instance, the restaurant owners, if they were left, if they were left to their own demise and and left to their own good sense and common sense, it would have been a different story. At least here in New York, I'm thinking of New York now because it's it's such a mess right now, a real mess. Right. It's a challenge, right. you know. Talk, talk to but, me. You know, go ahead. They're, 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 they, they, they got creative and they said, you know what, we, we've got to make, we've got to make our service memorable in, in the minds of our customers and how they're going to stand out. How are they going to stand out in customers' minds and not just be that shop that sold them a, a set of tires? So it's important today that when they, dif- the need to differentiate hinges on the customer's total service experience. Yes, must be 100%. From it has to be an experience. From the moment they make an appointment, pull into their lot, walk through their doors, greeted by their service advisor, contacted for necessary repairs to picking up and paying for the vehicle. Every aspect of that process, Dan, must elicit the value proposition that represents their business model. And that's how they're going to differentiate. Everything is going to be firing on the same cylinder. Everything is going to point back to that value proposition that this is how I want you to remember my dealership. This is why I want you to be top of mind. So every single touch point with customers, they need to cultivate a feeling of satisfaction that turns into lasting loyalty from their customer base. So that is so key today is to differentiate. Well, I'm going to, I love what you just said, 
and I'm thinking as you're saying it that I need to hire this woman, come work with me. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was it was brilliant, and I think that I, I'm I'm going to take this recording of this podcast. I'm going to distribute it to everybody in the industry because what you said is spot on, you know, and you know, that's what I think what I try to do with my clients is have them prepare. You know, I liken it to a three act Broadway show in the auto repair and tire industry. You know, you get the inbound, typically the inbound call is act one. Right. Right. When you, if you have a great call with the customer, then they come in. That's act two when they walk into the showroom. And then Act 3 is, again, at a later date when they come to pick the car up or you have to go and talk to them about the findings from their your 30-point inspection, something like that. You know, you have to uh, share with them what the condition of their vehicle is, is like. But anyway, and, and being prepared at each step of the way is really, really, really what you're describing. And that's how you the, – the challenge I find in having been doing this for 22 years is that most are not prepared. Most of, most, right. of, most of them don't practice. They don't have a, an approach, and they just kind of wing it, you know. But what you're right. saying is mission critical. It, it really is mission critical these days. What do you— Everything has to— Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, yeah. So everything has to be—everybody has to buy into that. Everybody has to be a team player and, and be on the same page with the value proposition and— and the other thing I wanted to mention, too, besides differentiating, they also need to work on continuous improvement. They can't have that mm, status like quo that. attitude. Yep. Continuous. I like that. Continuous improvement. They have to have an outside-in look at their business. So they have to look at it from the customer's viewpoint. What parts of their business need improvement? Do their folks need training? What are they doing to promote their business? What else is necessary so they can thrive and flourish? What services might they add? Are the brands they carry the right ones for the marketplace? You know, do they have a good distribution network with, you know, getting product they need at the right time? I mean, just looking at the business full circle and make sure that they're always on a continuous improvement mode and that to be looking at the future of the business each and every day. I love that thought. Actually, I just wrote down in my notebook I have next to me here, article for tire review about continuous improvement. (laughs) (laughs) You just gave me this idea. I love it. I love it. I love it. We don't have a lot of time left, but let me ask you this one question. I'd like you to comment on what you're hearing from all the, the tire manufacturers in terms of how they're able to recover from whatever happened to them during as the pandemic raged? Well, you know, just like I applauded the tire dealers, I'd like to applaud the tire manufacturers. You know, we were reporting weekly and talking to tire manufacturers weekly, and they did a phenomenal job of keeping products in the pipeline. Any dealer we talked with, we did not hear any feedback that they couldn't get product. There was enough product in the pipeline to begin with. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, they just... There were some factories that closed, but from what we heard, you know, for the most part, our our audience was very satisfied with what they could get. There were there did not seem to be a lot of issues with 
with getting the product they needed. So I'd like to applaud the tire manufacturers in addition to, you know, keeping products in the pipeline. You know, they still create, there were still some new product introductions that came out in the last couple of months. They were still working on R&D, you know, updating websites, creating new dealer apps, extending dealer programs warranties, rebates. I mean, they were really, really working on just keeping the pendulum in full movement. And um, a lot of them uh, have their eye to, you know, not only providing best in class passenger and light truck tires, they're also looking at the big thing now where they're talking about mobility solutions and tires for uh, electric vehicles and smart tires and that sort of thing. So they're looking at sustain- sustainable mobility. Uh, we just talked with some recently for a special edition that we had in the uh, April or the August issue, excuse me, where we were talking to subject matter experts within companies. And a lot of them are working on these ex- expanded mobility solutions uh, and the one thing I mentioned was were the smart tires. You know, we obviously know about TPMS, but these these amped up sensors that they're coming out with not only monitor uh, well, they monitor uh, obviously air pressure, but they also can monitor tire wear, inflation pressure, and the temperature inside the wheel. Really? So, yep. And the inside temperature can actually be an early indication of tire damage. So, there, so the consumer can actually address a problem before it becomes a dangerous situation. Wow. Very exciting. So much more, Mary, so much more to talk about. And clearly, you're, I love your passion about, about the industry. <laughs> it, it comes through. I was going to say, what do, you, what do you love? What keeps you in the tire industry? What do you love about it most? Oh, my gosh. You know what, uh, you know, you said it was a male dominated field, but there are so many women in the industry too. And, you know, I think we're all in this together. And what I love about it is the entrepreneurial spirit of the independent tire dealer. Yes, they have such a passion for what they do. And you know what, the level of customer care and exceptional service they deliver is second to none. And they do it every day single day. I always, yes, I'm sorry, go ahead. And then from the manufacturer's perspective, the tire manufacturers, I'm just fascinated by all the R&D and technology that goes into designing and producing tires. Who knew that tires could be so high tech? You know, before I got into this side of the market, I never knew that. I never knew there were so many types of tires for so many applications for so many different vehicles. It's just fascinating that how high tech tires can be. And and these these companies are keeping us safe because as you know, the tires are what connect our vehicles to the road. So they're they're very uh they're very high end. They, they need to be high they need to be high end, they need to perform and, and and they need to be top of mind in terms of safety. Yes, and when you step on the brake <laughs> in the wet wet weather, <laughs> you wanna make sure that you stop quickly. Everything you know, right. But, everything better work, right? But I want to echo so. just just my own real quick thought on the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I got mm-hmm. in 22 years ago, and here I am. You know, still today, yeah, uh, going at it because I do appreciate what what the average owner operator does when they put everything on the line and they go out there. And you know, being an entrepreneur is moments of sheer terror. 
followed by moments of mm-hmm. sheer ecstasy. You know, you, it comes right. together. You know, you get everything. And, uh, and, and they just bring it. And I know that, you know, so you think about the, the conditions they have to work, on, work under, you know, the, the people that work in it, in the industry. You know, on the days out there in Texas or, you know, down in Arizona when it's uh, 110 degrees, I've yet to see, uh, by the way, a service bay that's air-conditioned. I'm waiting. <laughs> I haven't seen wow. it. <laughs> yeah. And the same in the winter. I mean, when it's, when it's, you know, 10 degrees out and the doors have to open and close cold, and they still go out there and bust their knuckles and, and take, right. care, take care of people. You know, that's the, that's the game. They're out helping people. So I think it's fabulous. I, I love talking with you. We're going to take a little a little bit of a break right now, and then we'll come back and and uh, and wrap this thing up. And we're here with Mary Delavalle, the editor of uh, Tire Review Magazine. By the way, let me just ask you this one quick question: How long has Tire Review Magazine been in existence? So one hundred and eighteen years. It's been a long time. <laughs> there you go. One hundred and eighteen years. This is an institution, <laughs> folks, and. Uh, We'll be right back with uh, Mary, and we'll wrap this up in a minute. Malloy Sales Development turns companies into commitment-based operations and their employees into commitment-based people because commitment for human beings is the foundation for everything. And in business, it's mission critical because the only time commerce happens in any company is when commitments are exchanged internally among employees and externally with customers and vendors. Visit us at www.malloysales.com. Okay, folks, we're back again. Uncle Dan here. And what a fabulous session we had. What a fabulous podcast we just went went through with uh, Mary Delavalle, the editor of Tire Review Magazine, a friend of mine and a wonderful, wonderful lady. And, and I learned so much and I'm uh, thrilled with her energy and excitement about what she does and everything. Mary, do you have anything you'd like to share just before we, for our listeners? Just before we close up? Yeah. I um, just want to say it's, it's been a thrill to be on the show. I hope that I've imparted some, some good information for readers, for your audience. Um, you could always go onto the Tire Review website, and we've got lots of great information there. And in fact, you'll see some of Dan's wonderful articles. Like I said, he's a great partner of ours and has uh, worked with us for several years. And uh, we've got a lot of great information there, not only technical information, tire tech, tire service, undercar service, underhood type of service articles. We've got management, business, business operations. We've got some of my columns in there. Um, we hope that our, our goal is to, we are here for you. We're here to help you do your job better, to provide information, to serve you, to make your business more viable, just like you serve your customers each and every day and uh, make this country's vehicles uh, safer with, with each and every day you work and you perform every service on every vehicle. And, and we're just delighted to be a part of this industry. Well, thank you, Mary. I appreciate everything you said, and I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate what you guys are doing. So, and my thrill, believe me, it is my pleasure to have you here today. And and I think this this um, podcast is going to go out all over the country, and people are going to really get something out of it. So, thank you so much for being here. 
Have a great weekend. Thank you, Dan. All righty. It's my pleasure. Thank you again. All righty. Take care now.